In this episode, we'll be learning how to promote our health and faith through our guest ministry of serenity and health. She's a daughter, a sister, wife, doctor, mother, in that order, and she's also the author of a book entitled Pilgrimage, A Doctor's Healing Journey. Welcome to the show, Donna. How are you doing? Oh, I'm terrific. Thank you so much for having me, Toby. This should be fun. Yes, it will be so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode for a soulful mirror talk. I'm looking forward to learning so much from you, like from your book and from your journey of life. It has been so inspiring what you've gone through. And I really appreciate the fact that you reveal, you know, this journey, this healing journey with the world through your book also. You know, you went through this healing journey from an emotionally traumatic um, marriage and now you're, you're in a way better place than ever before. Would, would you like to like share the story with us and also tell us the inspiration behind the book, Pilgrimage? Um, well, the, the, the name of the book is Pilgrimage because that was just a perfect name for my journey. Um, it's a long story, Toby. I'm going to break it into pieces. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I was a doctor for many years, but I, w- I, was in, I married young, had children, and the turning point of my life uh, came about when I became really desperate and unhappy in my marriage. Um, I got married quickly. As I said, I was young. I was working as a physician, working too much to, to do, in retrospect, a good job at home, you know. And, and we had uh, very poor communication with my husband and and the home became very dysfunctional. I became extremely worried about my children because um, there was shame and yelling, and it was just a very hard environment. But the problem was I was always in a hurry. I was always busy. I did not have insight into anything. It was just so easy to not have time to deal with it. And, be, and because I didn't take time and I didn't have insight, I just kind of blamed him. And, but it got to the point where I was just, I, and, and key point, <laughs> I had let go my childhood faith because of time pressures, busyness. So I had no active mm. faith life. And um, this all led me to a point of, of desperation. I was just, I knew I could not continue. I had been to the divorce lawyer. I did not want to get a divorce. I did not want to stay married. I did. I wanted to protect my children, but there were no answers. And uh, at that point, I was, you know, led me to my knees, and I finally just gave up. and And that's when I started my adult journey as a Christian. I turned to God, and I just gave up. I surrendered. I said, "I have I." This wasn't like a momentary thing. This was like a process. It was extremely difficult. But eventually, uh, it came very clear to me, very clear to me that God wanted me to stay married. There was a moment that I knew that that was the path. That's what I had to do. And I had to trust him with the children. Mm -hmm. I had to trust him that things would be okay. Because it didn't seem like they would be okay if I stayed married. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, that's the path I followed. Things did get better in our home. We had some medical issues with the children. They're teenagers by this time. But within a few years after that, my husband got leukemia and died. And um, Mm -hmm. 
So I just had a lot of reshuffling in my head to figure out mm. how I had gotten into yeah. that mess, what I had done. And of course, by this time, my spiritual life meant a great deal to me. My relationship to God meant a great deal to me. So I was spending more time. I was listening for change, right? Mm. And, um, you know, I changed medical specialties I, uh, so that I could work in primary care. And I just... I kind of started an intentional plan to learn and understand and heal myself and grow and figure it out, kind of. And um, yeah. at this time, my children were out of the home in college. And I, I started practicing primary care in the inner city. And that was mm. further of my um, change in thinking about health. Because I worked with the... Immigrants, Toby, new immigrants, fresh, fresh in the country, no English yet. Um, and I worked with homeless people. I, I actually lived at a medical recovery facility for homeless people called Christ House. And so, you know, I saw people's health devastated by stress. But then I saw their recovery come about when they started having hope just to see somebody heal of all their ailments because now they, they finally have hope that for their future. And I, yeah. at some point I can even describe some examples. It just was so startling. But anyway, mm. all of this together helped me to understand that um, having a relationship with God, trying to trust God, trying to listen, trying to take some time to listen to God, to listen to myself, to my body, to listen to somebody else, um, trying to get to know who I was, because I was very, even though by this time I was, you know, 50 years old, I don't think I knew really who I was, really, mm. or how, what motivated me during all those years. So this whole process continued, it, you know, writing a memoir is a really soul-searching uh, proposition and and it led me actually to start seeing a psychotherapist because I, I just couldn't put things together and so yeah. the upshot of the whole thing is that I do have a better understanding of myself of the yeah. um, you know situations from how I was raised that yeah. that programmed me in certain directions that weren't always healthy I didn't even know now I understand more mm. and yeah. how faith can me turning to God and just trying to trust and, and do my best and putting all this together for myself made me more healthy and happy and peaceful. And that's why I started um, this ministry called Serenity and Health because I, I wanted to put all this together, all the various practices I had done for myself and in my studies mm -hmm. about health of body, mind, and spirit and how they all go together mm -hmm. and that's how we can find abundant health and, and be happier and healthier. That's what we all want, right? A happy, yeah. holy, healthy life. Of course. So that's of course, kind of yeah. a slightly rambly yeah. version. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving us an insight into what you experienced. I'm so sorry for the loss of your husband and, you know, everything that happened. But I'm so thankful also that you, you took all of this and you're helping it to help people. You're using it to help people basically to become better people, to have more healthy life, happier life also. Thank you for the work that you do, the awesome work that you do. And, you know, you talked about, you know, 
at your lowest point, like when you were on your knees, basically, you found God again. You found you reconnected back with God. So how can you teach? How can we, uh, you know, at at our lowest states, how can we build trust with God and build back a relationship with God? You know, when we are at that point where we've given up everything, basically, we've given up hope, we've given up on life or right. on a marriage, for example, in your case, yeah. Well, I think a lot of people go through peers like that, right? Where they're at their wit's end. They're stuck in a bad place. It could be a bad job, a toxic boss, a, um, you know, a, abuse or um, addiction in the families, uh, poverty. There's so many problems that people go through. War, oh my goodness. Mm. And um, my problem, and this is the, the first message, I never took a moment to think about God or myself or to listen or to slow down. I thought I always had to be busy. This is one of the biggest things I learned about myself, that I was so programmed to work, to be productive. This was like the number one virtue that somehow my brothers and I took from our home life. You know, my, our, mm-hmm. our parents and our grandparents were products of the Depression in the United States, and, and work mm-hmm. was everything. And we all learned that, right? But at great personal sacrifice and to my family. So if you're in some sort of stuck, awful place, big or little, you even though it may seem impossible to find a little time for God or for yourself, you have to. You have to find quiet time or else you may not find a solution. I think that's the first step. I mean, even if it's just getting up 10 minutes earlier, and maybe hiding in the bathroom if that's the only place you can get quiet. Even if it's just 10 minutes a day, I'm absolutely convinced that that is a start that mm-hmm. can help you see a way forward, to help you see what other steps you might be able to take. It's not a quick mm-hmm. process. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> not easy, but yeah. I think that's yeah. the first thing. And, you know, in that mm-hmm. clarity, you might find out that you need to, to get help, mm. you know, or maybe you've ignored God like I did. Maybe you need to, to um, com- commit to that relationship and get help. Mm. I mean, God is first, but we can't, we, I don't think we're meant to be on this journey alone. You're right. And, you know, you talked about um, listening and mindfulness, you know, in helping you regain that relationship with God and also your health also and, you know, your marriage and everything that came into place afterwards. So can you teach us how to listen properly? Can you tell us the importance of mindfulness in our journey of healing and in our journey of restoration? You know, you hit the nail on the head with that question because that was one of my biggest problems. If, and I think mm. many people share this with me. We are so busy up in our heads planning, organizing, thinking about the past, worrying about the future, that we are not in the present moment, and we're not listening. I mean, I look back and I feel bad. I probably could have been a much better doctor if I learned how to listen better and a better mother and a better husband, right? I don't think I even knew I wasn't a good listener. I mean, I know I wasn't. I wasn't aware, right? Because... um, it, uh, somehow in our busy life, I, I think for some of us, maybe depending on personality, it, it takes some effort 
to stay in the moment and be able to, to, to really embrace each moment in the present and, and listen. So I'll tell you how mm. it would help me because it surprises me. It's not yes. what I expected. Mm. When I started my recovery, so to speak, and my yeah. quest for knowledge and understanding, and I was starting to set up and research for serenity and health, I did a lot of research about mindfulness and meditation, and uh, they were both very foreign to me. And um, I probably reacted a little negatively, to be honest, like, ooh, you know, like it's some woo-woo new age thing or something. I don't know. Mm. And, um, but w what happened was that over time I developed uh, two prayer practices, which I think have been transformative for me, and they have everything to do with mindfulness, okay? Mm. And the, I'll, I'll tell you both because, I mean, I love to talk about this topic because it made such a huge difference in my life. And, you know, people use different language to describe the same thing I'm going to describe, but I'm just talking about my own experience, how, how it worked for me, all right? So mm -hmm. I, I researched meditation, and it was found in all cultures, all religions for forever and ever, and it always seemed to help people. They wanted to do it, right? This kind of mystified me. And when I read uh, current scientific research, like on the monks, meditating monks and yogis, and, and to see the brain changes, the physiological and anatomical changes in the brain and the brain function that actually changed um, and made people more open, less reactive, lower blood pressure. It's like, whoa, this is pretty cool. So I, um, in further research, realized there was deep roots in Christianity even for meditation, which I was not aware of um, because I never learned anything about a prayer that didn't involve words or thoughts or music or something. Uh, uh, so this is um, a Christian meditative prayer. It's a prayer without words, without thoughts, mm. without feelings. It's just putting yourself in the presence of the Lord. It's just a surrender. And so mm. I started practicing what's called centering prayer, which is um, mm. lots of information available. Maybe we can give the link. It, it's just a... a specific way of the steps you follow to, to accomplish this. Basically, it's sitting quietly and saying yes to our Lord for a committed period of time every single day. And I got to say, for somebody like me to sit still, not just me, a lot of people, I think, to just sit still and in the beginning it seems like do nothing seemed like an incredible <laughs> waste of time. I had stuff to yeah. do. I got stuff on my list. You know, <laughs> what are you talking about? Plus the brain yeah. just goes in overdrive if you sit like that. Mm. So yeah. it was a process to um, adjust my, myself to be able to do that. But I realized what a, what a great prayer in so many respects. Because, I mean, I ended up having to surrender that time. To God. I, it was my time. I had stuff to do, but no, I was mm -hmm. going to surrender it and just trust God 
that this time with him was more important than my stuff. So that the prayer has a lot of different benefits, slowing down your brain, those physiological changes, but also just getting used to letting go of your will for his for a short amount of time. Yeah. And the second prayer practice I call God-centered mindfulness because this mm. mindfulness stuff also kind of perplexed me. I mean... You tell somebody you're supposed to stay in the moment. Well, of course we're in the moment, right? We're here. It's kind of confusing when you first hear about it. I don't know. Were you confused yeah. when you first learned about mindfulness? Of, of course. Yeah, I'm like, like what is what, it? What's it all about? It doesn't even <laughs> yeah. um, But then I saw this book. I, isn't it wonderful how a book at the right time can change your life? So I of happened course. to see this book in a bookstore. It was called Sacrament of the Present Moment. And it was mm. written in the early 1800s by a French Jesuit priest, de Cassade, Jean-Pierre de Cassade. Mm. And, he, and it's a real thin book, but he, and he talks in kind of flowery, repetitive language, which is so beautiful, though, about how each present moment is like this gift, and we have the divine action here. And if you just embrace that moment, that's where God is. And you have nothing mm. else in the whole world to worry about. You have everything you could possibly want in this moment, as long as you are there and not in your head about the disagreement yesterday or worried about the financial problem for the future or whatever. Anyway, yeah. um, I decided I wanted to have some sort of mindfulness that was like he was talking about. And so I, I, uh, decided I would have a short prayer I would say many times during the day. Mm. Now, I didn't invent this. There's a, a famous prayer called the Jesus, Jesus Prayer um, that people say, but this is what I did. I decided I would say, my Lord and my God, whenever I thought about God, whenever I thought about my prayer, or whenever I really needed God during the day, like when I started to get irritated, upset, stressed, angry, judgmental about somebody, irritated at the red light, whatever. Whenever I was losing it, even just a little bit, I would try to remember to say that prayer. And in the beginning, you know, it didn't go too well. I kept forgetting. Or I would say it after I had this long tirade in my head about something. But mm. a miracle happened. I'm not kidding. I've never had this happen in my life. And within six or eight weeks, that prayer just automatically started popping into my brain when I needed yeah. it. When I was just starting to get that feeling or to be looking at that person with negative thoughts or, you mm. know, being jealous of something or just, you know, all the crazy thoughts we have. And, and the yeah. more you, you um, are interested in improving yourself in this way the more you are aware of all that traffic in your head um mm. so anyway that's why this prayer came a lot it still comes yeah. a lot so uh, during the day just dozens of time i'll just in my head say my lord or my god i'll take a breath mm. and i'll yeah. be in a much better place to deal with whatever the situation is and i just yeah. think the though these two prayer practices and people can do it in whatever way they want or their culture, their, their faith tradition. Uh, they're not mm. unique to Christianity at all. 
but I, I think this kind of process is really imperative in our quest, to, you know, to lead healthy, full, abundant lives. Because, lives. because if we're always up in our head, we're not going to get there. Mm. So all you, should, all you say is, um, my Lord and my God. And my Lord and my all. God. St. Thomas yeah. said that when he wouldn't believe that Jesus had been in the upper room and oh, finally yes. he believed and he said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God, yeah. yeah. I want to say that you were able to let go of that jealousy or negative thoughts. And yeah, uh, you ought to yeah. try it. I mean, you, in the mm. beginning, I like made sticky notes and I would, rem I would have a, like it, it would say it many times just on purpose for no reason. Mm. My Lord, oh my God, my Lord, oh my God. <laughs> but it just, it just <laughs> happened. I mean, God helps us. If we make a little effort, God helps us. What do you do when your mom has had Alzheimer's for more than a decade and you suddenly become her primary caregiver? When I went looking for answers, I ended up creating a podcast. Welcome to Fading Memories. I'm your host, Jen. This podcast offers advice, wisdom, and hope from caregivers who have lived the experience and survived to tell the tale. Think of us as your caregiver best friend. We discuss all things caregiving, self-care, aging well, brain health, and have fun along the way. You might not be able to call us at 2 a.m. to vent, but we're here for you anyway. Tune in weekly for inspiration to help you manage your caregiving journey. Find Fading Memories wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. That's true. You're right. You're right. So for someone out there who is asking, okay, um, Donna, you've explained so much and I, I understand, but I want to know how my faith is attached to my health or my faith is attached to my okay. well-being or happiness in life. Okay. How would you explain this? Okay. There's like four or five different ways that it's very specifically related. Mm. Um, one is if you believe in God and you believe that God gave you the gift of life and your body, then, and to use Christian language, we are stewards of our gifts and talents and our bodies. It's a gift, right? Then mm -hmm. I think as Christians and um, perhaps other people of other faiths believe the same, that we have a responsibility to care for that. Mm -hmm. We have a, a responsibility to think about our habits the way we live our lives, what we eat, what we drink, what we smoke, our mm. exercise, our stress mm. level. We think about all of that. Yes. And adjust it if it's off whack. Because, mm. you know, 70% of all chronic illness can be either cured or improved by changing these kind of habits about eating, drinking, smoking. I mean, that's just pretty astounding. That's true. Yeah. And so as a, as a Christian, I feel I have a responsibility, and I like to remind other people that, that I think we all have a responsibility. I think God wants mm -hmm. us to be as healthy as we can. We don't want to get nutty about it, but we can better do his will and serve others and suffer less. 
mm-hmm. if we do some basic things with our health habits. And so that's a direct link. And then, you know, you can, to accomplish that, because uh, saying it is not doing it, right? <laughs> Nestor, yeah. <laughs> you, you can use a, a church community, groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I was fortunate enough to be remarried, Toby. So my husband and I, we laughed that, that you know, we're God buddies. We try and help each other, you know, yeah. or a friend, a neighbor, a, a walking partner. There's mm-hmm. so many um, groups involved with uh, health that, you know, so that, so healthy habits is a huge, huge part of this whole thing. Yeah. Another is this whole stuff of the, what's in the head that, that mm-hmm. I talked about with my prayer practices. Yeah. Yes. Because that's where, you know, stress just eats us up. Hmm. Uh, It's estimated that uh, at least two-thirds of the um, types of complaints that people have when they go in to see their doctor Mm -hmm. are stress-related. And that was my experience. So, I mean, Hmm. I'm talking about, and when I say stress-related, I mean that the stress either caused the problem or aggravates it. And, I mean, the list is really long. Um, mm. Headaches, backaches, insomnia, anxiety, stress, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity. And the list, the list is a very long one mm. of um, conditions that are aggravated by stress. And so if you have an act of faith and you believe in God mm. and you try to surrender the junk and just do the best you can and trust him with the rest. Mm-hmm. Based on my own experience and my observations, I, I think people will have less stress. And if you have less stress, you're going to be healthier. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, the last point that connects faith and health, so I talk about habits and quieting yes. the mind and mm-hmm. this this dealing helping to deal with stress yes. the last one general category has to do with something called resilience resilience so if you are this is to use a scientific term i guess if you're resilient you are going to adapt to stresses better you're going to be healthier it's like an equilibrium mm-hmm. and and there are certain uh, ways of living that increase resilience. Mm. And some examples are people that have like a meaning in their life, a purpose, a community, relationships, mm. uh, they're bound together. They know what they're about and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, or they may have a mission a volunteer activity that mm. they give and they receive. All of these kinds of activities, mm. the arts is another big one, uh, creativity. Yeah. All of the, these kinds of things build resilience and then contribute to health. Well, clearly, if you, are, if you have a meaningful faith community that helps you move on your journey and you're able to help others on their journey either mentally or physical needs or whatever, you know, 
all of that contributes to resilience and therefore contributes to health. So it, there's a lot of rewards isn't, that we get from our faith. I, I just think yes. our, our dear God is very good. Uh, he, it, it, let me say one thing, though. It's mm. not like if you do it right, you're guaranteed health. Mm. This is not anything, I'm, and I don't want anybody to think I'm speaking of what's called the prosperity gospel. You pray mm. right, you pray enough, you do it right, then you'll be healthy or rich or something. No, it's not like that. There's still going to be illness. There's still going to be accidents. We're all going to die. Mm. <laughs> but um, for sure, if you know who you are in life and what you're trying to accomplish and you trust God and you have relationships, it's possible to have an illness and suffer a bit less than if you're just thrashing and angry and desperate and alone. That's true. Yeah. So yes. that's how I look at it. Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. I love the fact that you talked about resilience and how faith helps us, you know, in, on this path also. And yeah. I believe I believe our faith could also help us to heal from our childhood traumas. Did they help you in some ways, sweet, from your, you know, from how your parents brought you up and, you know, that working hard, stress and anxiety that comes with that also. Did your faith help you with that? Oh, yeah, the, the childhood stuff is really big. And... um. When I was working in Washington, I always wondered why the people had so many illnesses. I never saw so many illnesses in one person. <laughs> I mean, and I, uh, it was just common for someone to have six or eight or ten diagnoses of major problems, you know, and I was thinking, like, whoa. But a few years after that, I, I learned the... And uh, at the time, I thought, well, it's just stress and... And I'm sure that's definitely a factor, but I learned um, about ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Do you know what that is? Have you heard no, of that? No. Okay, well, no. I, I, if you don't mind, I'll explain it because it's really important. Yes, All please. right. So ACE, ACEs, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences or events. I forget what the E is. Anyway, mm. one of the two. Mm. And that term came about after a very large study in the United States um, done at a very large healthcare system. And what they did is they talked to adults and had them complete surveys about their memories of childhood their own childhood. Mm -hmm. And they ended up with a, a questionnaire with uh, 10 areas looking for uh, experiences that the, that the person remembers that would indicate any kind of abuse, neglect, um, hunger, violence, witnessing violence, domestic mm -hmm. abuse, drug abuse, uh, divorce was one of them, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and the test, the survey, if you had a, like a really I idyllic childhood, your score would be zero or one. And if you had all kinds of problems, it would be 10. Mm -hmm. And then they correlated 
those scores with their health as adults. So that makes sense? Yes. Okay. Yes. What they found is that those, um, the higher the score, the more physical health problems, mental health problems, and behavioral health problems that the adults had mm. by huge numbers. Um, addiction, mental illness, obesity, diabetes, all the diseases, suicide, just it was, and that's what I was seeing in Washington, D.C., because I saw so many poor people that had been raised under a very difficult circumstances or moving across country, you know, immigrants, diff just difficult traumatic events for, for mm. children. Mm. And now the research continues to um, determine how to, what we can do to um, lessen the occurrence, le lessen those events, mm -hmm. and help the children that might be at risk, but also hugely to help those adults mm -hmm. who now find themselves with a lot of problems and then they read this article and it says, oh my gosh, my score is 10. Mm. I'm messed up. But it's, it's a, a hopeful piece of news, okay? Because mm -hmm. knowing that doesn't mean they're permanently messed up. It means we're they have to recognize that that was what happened to them. But by taking um, specific steps, there are ways to heal yourself. And it's all this whole mind-body medicine thing, you know, some sort of spirituality, some sort of, re you've got to build resilience and relationships, but just small steps in that direction, like maybe joining an art club or starting a walking program, or maybe mm -hmm. somebody never paid attention to their interest in God. Maybe they need to go back to God. Um, mm -hmm. You know, maybe they need to see a therapist and really sort this out a little bit. Or maybe they have alcoholism and they've never gone to an AA meeting. You know, it, you do have to take steps to, to make change, but you can start really small and, and it will work. Just little small steps. Yes. So the ACEs are a, um, a big thing. And you'll, now that I've mentioned this term, I'm, I'm sure you'll see it. There's a big push for schools, churches, healthcare organizations to be aware of this, to give what we call trauma-aware care. So not to be mm -hmm. so judgmental about people. Mm -hmm. You don't know what they went through, mm -hmm. y you know? Yeah. Somebody may be um, acting like a, quote, difficult patient, but it's not fair to judge. You just, you don't know how they started out in life, you know? Mm -hmm. So by being more sensitive, more aware, more respectful, uh, there can be healing blogs on the topic. Cause I think it's really critical. One is yeah. just has information explaining this. And the second one, after you take your own score, mm. then you have to deal with where you are. Like for example, well, here's an example. I took my test. I took it. My score is low. I had 
I had good parents. They weren't perfect, but they were really good parents, right? So my mm -hmm. score is like zero or one. Mm -hmm. And But I'm really aware that somehow the way I was raised, I still had some really distorted ways of thinking about life mm -hmm. that I carried with me from childhood. And it took, you know, I'm still working at yeah. this, you know, intense need to overwork or this difficulty in always um, being direct about my needs, you know, mm. that sort of thing. Anyway, so for me, I look at that and I say, oh, my score is low. But then I think about my children. Their score is not as low. Mm. Now I have to deal with that because yeah. one of the reasons their score is not so low is because I was part of a very long marriage, which in retrospect, you know, included emotional abuse and I just stayed there. I didn't do anything. So, and then other people have high scores to deal with uh, and have to accept that. That's how life is, right? Yes, and you're right. their path to, to mm -hmm. grow and there are ways and, and references about steps they can take to heal. Yes. I'm going to place the link to these articles yes. in the show notes of this episode once, once I get it from you, Donna. Okay. And I encourage everyone who's listening to just, you know, click on the links, read yes. them, and find out their scores. Yes. No, it's ex I just think it's extremely valuable. I mean, yeah, in, in, yes. many, different, in many different directions. Mm. You know how the study came about? It's so fascinating. It was just a doctor, a regular old doctor in um, a large, large medical clinic organization called Kaiser Permanente in the United States. And he mm. was working in a weight loss clinic. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. And he he realized that the, a lot of times they would lose weight and then they, they would gain it all back quickly. Mm -hmm. And it, it, eventually he had a long conversation with one of the women. Mm. And she did lose all the weight and then she gained it all back. And she explained to him that she had been sexually abused as a child. And I think she was fairly, as I recall, articulate and kind of had some fear about making herself attractive to a man all uh, of a sudden. Yeah. And felt more safe with the weight. Um, that was that was the conclusion of of mm. maybe it was a in the subconscious you know our bodies do these kinds of things, but anyway mm. the doctor after learning that conversation started asking other patients and come to find out the frequency of sexual abuse in that weight loss clinic was sky high and he just got to thinking about wow I wonder what else is going on. And then they started eventually this big study to ask questions about abuse and neglect and violence and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that would, that would be something to look into for everyone, I believe, yes. <laughs> myself included. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's been called, um, you know, the, the biggest healthcare crisis that we have, really, if you think about mm -hmm. it. And it's of great concern to me now with all the the pressures that we face with COVID and everything else going on that, that it, it's been hard on families. It's hard, really hard on children. So yeah. we have a lot to pray about and a lot to be sensitive about, a lot of work to do. 
Yes, yes. And it's, it's very important, like what you just said right now, it's important for us to take the actions that we need. We have to tighten our relationship with God, pray as much as we can. And what you said when you were talking about the adverse um, childhood event is you're talking about, you know, you also taking that small steps, basically, like you saw a psychotherapist, you know, while you were writing a book also. So can you tell us like some lessons that you learned from the psychotherapist and how did it help you to let go of the need to work hard or the need to, um, you know, oh, uh, become much more yeah. emotional LD? Yeah. That was interesting, you know, because mm -hmm. as an adult, probably my daughters had said in the years past about seeing a therapist or something. I go, oh, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to stir up trouble? I, I would never <laughs> want to do that. I, I said that repeatedly, mm -hmm. Toby. Mm -hmm. But uh, the reason I saw, the reason I knew I needed to see a psychotherapist was as I was writing, trying to write my memoirs, I read my old diaries, which I hadn't really read for years. And I was flabbergasted to see that my memory of my childhood and teens and years was very different from what I wrote down. Mm. And it was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so... When you, when you see a psychotherapist, you know, it's not a cognitive process. Are you going to think this through and make a list and solve it? Mm -hmm. So that's what, so it was hard mm -hmm. to try and make yourself open to painful memories or, or to the things that you, that you wished you had not done but you did do. You know, like, for example, I did the best I could. I really, I worked really hard as a mother. And my, I loved my girls, and they know I love them. But, you know, it was messed up. Uh, because uh, I think I was, I, what I, I was, it was in the, seeing the psychotherapist where I really came to understand this drive to work, which I still have to battle with. It's hard for me to relax. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned I remarried. I think I remarried. Yes, and yes, anyway, my husband is so able to relax. I mean, he could just sit there and listen to music or watch the birds. And I'm like, wow. I mean, that's like foreign to me. So <laughs> that was one thing I learned because it's fine to work hard. There's a lot of rewards, right? But not when you sacrifice health and family and children and relationships, it, it's got to be a balance. And I didn't understand that. I didn't mm. see that in myself at all yeah. um, until going through this process. Yeah. And um, the other thing I never understood very well was how I had a lifetime pattern of not speaking up when I should have spoken up. And mm. I talk about this in my book a lot because as I, as I wrote down experiences in my marriage, it's like, geez, Donna, why didn't you, why did, why did you say something? Why didn't, you know? And I, you know, even from the very beginning when I, I said I would marry him six weeks after I met him, well, that was kind of stupid. I, I knew that that was too quick. 
to commit. Hmm. <laughs> but I got my ring. I mean, so there, there was a lot of stuff like that that I came to see. I had these, like, I think we all do, an automatic way we commonly react to something. And my yeah. automatic way is to pick a path that were, would not offend anybody. There'd be no confrontation or conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's a really crummy way. You know, yeah. the, um, the, the therapist often talked about, what did she say about, you know, in a relationship, if you, if you, if you can't be honest, you know, it's not much of a relationship, mm. right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. One thing she said that I always, I think of regularly and it had to do with what what she calls anxiety. It's not. Think of um, if there's some stressful circumstance happening. Maybe it was an uh, angry patient, or maybe when I was younger, a child getting upset, or anything. Right. I would have a choice. I, ideally, I would have a choice of how I would react. Right. One is to, to feel that tension, to get upset myself, because that's mm. what we do. We react. And, and bef- before I learned this, my God-centered mindfulness, I, I reacted quicker and more. But that, that anxiety, that reaction, that feeling that you're going to, you know, when a, you feel like a fight might start or a disagreement... Uh, but you haven't, you haven't really said anything, but you, you feel it all inside you. Mm. So my therapist always said, um, never underestimate the power of a non-anxious person, meaning non-reactive, calm. So like, a doctor who doesn't let the patient get under their skin, a teacher who is very calm with the unruly student. If, if they choosing that calm approach deflates the situation, if the teacher or the doctor or whomever, the brother, the sister, the husband, the wife, gets upset themselves, it, it just spirals more. I mean... Mm. I just think that's a really powerful thing, and that's where the mindfulness comes in. So if, if you start to feel it rising up, you, you have to have some way to pull yourself back to the present moment, to take a breath. If you don't like to say a prayer, maybe your mindfulness thing can be to take three breaths when you start to feel that tension coming. <laughs> Do you have that happen to you? I can't be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a, a lot of times, a lot of times. <laughs> and that's even one of my, my prayers too. Like, um, I always pray to God to help me not to react, but to respond properly. Like, I, to me, that that made more sense right now when you're talking about being that non-reactive person. Because right. I, I wrote that down and I was asked the question that, um, what do you mean not to react? And I was like, yeah, I just got that inspiration not um, to pray, not to be a reactive person, but to respond properly. Exactly. To that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's the goal to thoughtfully, mm. mindfully respond yes. instead of reacting. And uh, a lot of worldwide problems would, and marriage and every kind of problem would be <laughs> better off. And raising children. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah it's, could be, it's could be difficult. It's a big challenge. It could be difficult, but once we're able to be mindful, like you said, and be calm, basically. I think that comes also from what you talk about meditation and um, centering prayer and yes. prayers, for example. You're able to be centered, basically, and whenever any storm of life comes your way, you just be calm. I know that Jesus is on your boats, basically. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a nice way to say it. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I, yes. I think the, the whole thing does kind of translate into trying to respond rather than react to stressful mm. circumstances. And we, we could all change relationships, change families. You know, this therapist that I saw worked in something called family systems therapy. So mm. it was getting at um, how relationship difficulties and stuff, you know, it comes from families and it's passed mm. down in families. And... Mm. Um, that's that's where this, and, and you know, when you have a long history of uh, relationship challenges with somebody, whether it be a spouse or family member or sibling or whatever, you're triggered. You react before you even, because you just think something's going to get said, you know? Mm-hmm. And so recognizing those triggers mm-hmm. or trying to recognize them before they get full blown. Yes. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. Recognize those triggers and whenever you sense them coming your way, just <laughs> touch them. Right. Yeah. Do uh, your breathing, say your prayer, whatever you can come up with. Yes. Uh, that's awesome. I, I believe in this way, in this sense, also, one will be able to have a very healthy life, a holy life, and also happy life if one could do this. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I've learned I've learned so much from you, Donna. I mean, this is such a wonderful conversation. I was listening to you talk, and I could just relate basically to you know everything you were saying. Uh, most of the things you were saying, I mean, you've you experienced a lot more than <laughs> I've experienced <laughs> my little years so far. But I could relate to some of the things, and you know, atta- I'm attaching everything back to your relationship with God. Also, it's very relatable to me too, and. I just want you to let us know the best way to like, connect and work with you. I'm sure there are people out there who are listening so far who would love to work with you, get the book, maybe ask you some further questions that we're not able to ask. What is the best way to do all of this? All right. Yeah, I'd be happy to hear from anyone. Um, so uh, I'll give you my email for the show notes. Um, mm. my, and you, you could also contact me directly through my website, which is serenityandhealth.com. Dot com three words with the a n d spelled out serenityandhealth.com and that's a place where you can uh, sign up for my monthly blog where i talk about all these kind of topics that's where i wrote originally the pieces about uh aces cuz i think they're really important mm-hmm. and um i have information about my book also on my blog and i'll i'll give give you that toby for the show notes the book is a um pilgrimage a doctor's healing journey. And I put a lot of crap out there about my life, folks. <laughs> but the process helped me tremendously. And as I then describe the, the healing and the, the recovery and, and trying to put the whole mind-body thing together, what I learned mm-hmm. myself, I could more articulate it for mm-hmm. others. And that, that's why I wrote the book. And so yeah. I'd, I'd love it if you uh, would read it and let me know what you think. But yes. it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. 
that's another worst thing. Yes, the link will be in the show notes of the episode. So I encourage everyone to click on the link to buy the book to get across to donor. Also, in case of questions, inquiries, or feedback, please, please, let's um, engage. And thank you so much, Donna. I mean, if there's a last word you could share with us, like a closing remark for someone who is there stuck in a very unhealthy life or unhappy life and wants to liberate and become much more happier and healthy, what would be that advice or that closing remark for the such a person? Well, I think the most important thing is to uh, turn to God because then you'll have hope. But then never forget that to, to see a change you will have to make a change. And that might, it has to start very small or else you will fail on this journey. So just start with whatever small thing you think will make you feel better. And because our mind, body, and spirit is all connected, it doesn't matter where you start. Maybe you want to do a different kind of prayer. Maybe you want to start walking three times a week. Maybe it's finally time for you to change your diet. And, And I always... I always encourage people to be, not make it complicated. Don't make things complicated. Start with something little. Maybe you drink too much. Maybe you drink soda all the time. Just cut that in half or alternate one soda with one water for the first week. And reevaluate each week how you're doing it. it, it has, you have to keep at it. In terms of um, eating, a, I often recommend as a way to start is to count up how many servings of fruits and vegetables that you eat each day. Mm. And you don't have to get real complicated about it. One small serving of a vegetable or one piece of fruit. And um, we don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. I I don't know what kind of a diet you have, but in general, it's very easy to eat a normal American diet and end up with a, a count of two or three. And mm-hmm. five or six is a minimum of servings of fruits and vegetables. So that's a, a, a fun thing. You could, if, you're, if you really have low numbers, you could start with four and then build up. So yeah. make a change, a small change, and then monitor yourself every week. And it's great to do that as part of your prayer. As part of your mm. prayer, maybe on Sunday when you think about God more, if you attend church or not, doesn't matter. Mm. So that's how I would that's say. Oh, thank you so much, Donna. I really appreciate this. This was such a life-changing conversation I added to you. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. And thank you so much for being so open with everything you've experienced and using this also to change the world. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Oh, I'm really happy. I've, I've, I've enjoyed meeting you. I'll, it'd be, I'll be fun to stay in touch, Toby, and see all this wisdom you're getting, what you're going to do. You're so young. You have decades ahead. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. great to see. Maybe you'll Thank change you so the world. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. That's my prayer. I hope so. <laughs> I think you are. I think you are. Thank you so much. Wow. You made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.